I feel like I'm in the middle of a horror movie, like somebody's going to jump out of the shadows and like get me. Uh, good morning, everybody. Uh, if it's your first time here, good morning. My name is Joel Pesmino. I'm uh, your new associate pastor. So yeah, thanks, thanks, thanks. Um, I'm going to be uh, overseeing everything that has to do with uh, spiritual formation and pastoral care here. The journey I'm going to be part of the teaching team. So every once in a while, you know, when Chad needs to go to Cabo or something for vacation, you'll, you'll see me and that'll be great. Um, but yeah, be- before I jump in, just wanted to kind of like uh, throw myself a little bit. Um, I'm originally from Ecuador, so uh, if you were wondering where that exotic accent is coming from, it's like, it's Italian, German, like, what his deal? It's from Ecuador, it's from Ecuador. Um, been in many, my family came to the United States in 2006, and we've been uh, in ministry, I think, for like the last 13, 15 years. Um, last five years, my wife and I planted a church in Washington, D.C. called Encounter that you guys actually helped fund and, 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 and supported in many ways, and we're really grateful for that, and then... Kind of like on the aftermath of COVID, as, as many churches, unfortunately, you know, we, we were hit too hard and we could never really fully recover. And last year, we, we had, to, uh, had to shut down. And I spent the last few months sort of doing uh, itinerary preaching. I think somebody here, I came on a Sunday that Chad had COVID and somebody said, are you like a professional, like a substitute preacher? And I'm like, you could say that, right? Like that's what we're looking at. So anyway, I've uh, been doing that. And then Chad came and rescued me from the desert and brought me home. Uh, and, and now I'm here. And no, we're, we're really uh, happy to be here. We feel very new. You know, like if you're doing the, the five-week challenge thing, I think I'm on week four. So by next week, I don't know if I want to stay or not. Uh, but I, I think I'm, I'm going to say, no, but seriously, uh, we, we, I just wanted to say kind of on behalf of me and my wife, we, we love it. And these past few weeks, you guys have been so welcoming and so nice, not only to me, but, but, but my wife, Megan, our son, Jack. And, and we're really, really grateful for that. And I really hope that she doesn't fire me anytime soon because I like you guys and want to stay here. Um, with that, uh, before I went into ministry, I used to work in insurance. I worked for, for a state farm agent in Maryland. Actually, when I was uh, doing the application process for, for this position, I found out that uh, Chad also used to work in insurance. And I, uh, part of me wonders if that's the reason why I got hired. That's like the, the career path of pastors at the journey. Like you go to insurance and then you go into ministry, so we know you're okay. But anyway, so uh, I used to work in insurance and, you know, our insurance agency mainly did two things. We did car insurance and we did life insurance, right? And car insurance was kind of like easy. It sold itself because the government helps us out and, you know, forces you to get some, which I think is a good idea. So anyway, th- those people used to just come in. But where we made most of our money was selling life insurance. And selling life insurance is a little bit harder because, you know, you're talking to people. Like, pe- people's, when you can afford life insurance, your first priority is not that you're going to die, right? Like you think that that's something, a prospect that's many, many years on the road. And a lot of times it was hard for us to sell people the idea of their need for health, for, for life insurance. And the way we would start kind of like framing that was that we would say, listen, think about this as um, risk minimization, right? We, you know, we hope that, that, that you have many, many years left to live. It's not like you're a cheeseburger away from like the, the heart cardiac unit or something. But, but so like, you're going to live for many years, but just in case, you never know what happens. And then what happens to your family? What happens to your children? And that was kind of like, like, like the pitch that we would make. Like, like you need this in, to minimize the risk. And most of the time that works. And the reason why it works is because we are a very risk averse society. We try to protect ourselves against as many, um, you know, unknowns as possible. And right now you can get insurance for everything. Like I remember when we bought our house, you could get something called like a, 
a house warranty thing that you pay X number of dollars a month, and then if some, uh, you know, appliance breaks in the house, that is covered, so you don't have to, like, pay for that. Uh, my, uh, I, I was away on a trip this week, and I spilled water on, on my laptop, and it got on the screen. And I was worried how much is it going to be, and then I found out that, that the computer has Apple Care Plus. So on Monday, I have an appointment, and it's going to, like, change my screen. It's going to cost me, you know, uh, an arm and a leg. So, so we, that's kind of like how we've uh, worked a society to be, that we have all these ways of uh, minimizing risk. And that, I don't think that only happens in terms of our uh, insurance, but how we make decisions for life, isn't it? Like, a lot of times, like, maybe if you think about the career field that you went into, it was partially because you had good prospects of, you know, getting a job after you got out of school. Maybe one of the reasons how we choose a neighborhood where we want to live is because it has good schools and it's safe. You, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, like, a lot of the decisions that we make in life are designed to minimize risk. Now, I'm not against it. I think that's good. I'm, I'm pro-insurance. Uh, you know, used to, used to make my living in that. I think it's a good thing. But here's the, 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 the thing. That sometimes... I feel like that risk-averse mentality sort of sips in into our life with God, particularly in our prayer life. Think about how your normal prayers are on a day-to-day basis. I don't know how you particularly pray, but chances are that you're praying for God to protect your family. You're praying for God to Take care of your kids. You're praying for God to, you know, keep you safe on the way to work. Like a lot of the prayers, the way in which we see God is what I would call safe prayers. We want, we, we, and, and because we, we do that, one of the uh, implications of that is we try to stay away from risk and danger as much as possible. And, and, and the problem with that, if, if there's such a thing as a problem, is that when you look at the Bible, the people that... God uses in the scriptures, the great heroes of the faith, the people that see and live closer to the presence of God are people that live anything but safe lives. You can take your pick, Noah, David, Moses, David, the apostles. The people that God uses in his kingdom are people who are willing to take risks. And I wonder sometimes if we feel like our spiritual life is stagnant. Or we feel like we're stuck in a rut precisely because we don't want to risk too much. But what if that's precisely what's keeping us from experiencing God in a more real and powerful way in our lives? And the question becomes this. Should we be praying maybe prayers that are a little bit less safe? Should we be praying prayers that maybe are a little dangerous? And I'm not saying that we need to ask for suffering or for harm. What I'm talking about is what if the thing that's kind of like keeping us from the other side of a flourishing spiritual life where we see the move of God in our lives is that we start praying beyond just preserving our status quo and asking God to use us and to move in our lives. And the reason why these prayers are dangerous is because following Jesus and being used by God can sometimes come at a great cost. It's not always a safe enterprise. And yet, I think that that might be the greatest adventure of our life. 
So what we're going to do is we want to uh, devote the next four weeks to looking at this idea of praying dangerous prayers. I want to look at four kind of like components of what it means to pray dangerous prayers. We're going to look at praying boldly, praying intentionally, praying persistently, and praying continuously. And, and the question that we want to challenge all of us to work through during this series is, why would God do in us and through us if we prayed dangerous prayers like this? And, and today, I want to start by looking at the first component of, of dangerous prayers, which is praying Boldly, And I want to start with that because uh, praying boldly is about the attitude that we have when we pray. So think for a second about your prayer life and think about your attitude. And I don't mean are you in a good mood or you're in a bad mood or you're excited, whatever. No, I mean more like when you're praying, do you pray with confidence? Do you pray believing that God is going to answer you? Uh, do, do you pray with reticence? Maybe you, you're not sure if God's there, right? But just in case to cover my bases, maybe, right? You're kind of like hedging your bets. Uh, maybe you're not sure that God's listening, but, but you, know, you still do it. Do, do you pray with urgency? Are you praying because you, you're kind of like in a bind and you need God to move? You need God to help. You need God to do something for you. Um, or do you pray more... I would say transactionally, meaning you're praying because you think it's the right thing to do, but you don't feel that you need God to get involved in what you're doing because you got this. And you're kind of like just praying to, because it's a thing that Christians are supposed to do. You see, when we pray, we always come with certain predispositions and assumptions and attitudes before God. Now, the interesting thing is that in the Bible, we see a number of examples of the attitudes of people when they pray. As a matter of fact, Jesus teaches on this idea. So uh, I want to take you to a passage that you can follow along on the screens. In the Gospel of Luke, this is Luke chapter 11. I'm going to start reading on verse 5. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend. And you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks, the door will be open. The, the context of this passage is that um, Jesus has just finished teaching his disciples the Lord's Prayer. Like the passage begins with the disciples saying, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And he goes into the model of prayer, like our Father who are in heaven, the whole thing. And when he finishes with that prayer, immediately he goes into the parable that we just read. And so, so part of what's going on is that Jesus is not only teaching his disciples how to pray in terms of like the words that you should use, like the structure, the things they need to cover, but he's also using this parable to illustrate the attitude, the predisposition that you need to come before God 
and prayer. Now, this is the crazy thing about the parable that he uses, the example that he gives. Because he goes on to describe one of the most inconvenient and honestly rude situations that he could come up with, right? So, so for you to understand what, what's going on, in the ancient Near East, it's not like, you know, houses now that are like four bedrooms, three and a half baths, and there's like a den and a basement. No, it's one room, okay? It's one big room sometimes, but it's just one room. So when people go to sleep, you kind of like pick a corner of the walls and then use like co-lavders. Sometimes people like share the same cot and like everybody slept on the same place. Now what that means is that when somebody's knocking on the door, if you get up, you're kind of like in a minefield trying to like avoid the rest of your family to get to the door. I don't know if you've ever like been watching a movie or watching TV with your kids and they fall asleep. And you don't want to wake them up, but you really need to use the bathroom, or you really need to go like get some water or something. And you're like, it's like, like you're diffusing them, like dun, 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 dun. and then you move, and then kind of like to not disturb anything. That's kind of what's going on here, right? Like somebody's looking at the door, and the dad gets up, and he's like, Crap, who can it be? And then he's like, oh, oh, and then he gets to the door, and he opens the door. I need some bozo asking for bread in the middle of the night, right? Now. The guy that goes asking for bread, the reason why he's risking this, asking for bread, is because in ancient Near East culture, one of the most important things was hospitality. And the reason being because at that time, you don't have all the infrastructure that we have to like Airbnb and hotels and whatever. If you need a place to stay, you are counting on the hospitality of other people. So you were hospital when somebody needed it because at some point you were going to need the same hospitality. Part of hospitality was providing people for something to eat. Now the challenge is that at that time we don't have Google Maps and we don't have texting, right? So it's not like you're like, dude, like my thing says I'm going to get there at like 5 p.m. today, so I'll text you when we're like 10 minutes away. No. You know, you probably said last year, hey, we're going to come in the spring, right? And then at some point, in some moment of the day, somebody's going to show up in the spring to visit. Like, that's what's going on. So somebody comes in, you don't have food, and it's super wrong not to have food. You need to find food for your guests because kind of like your honor and your personality depends on that. And uh, some commentators think like the guy that he's knocking the door might have been like the town baker or something. Like, he knew that this guy had bread, Right? So you're risking that ridicule. You're risking offending your friend because your honor is a stake. And then I love how the NIV translates this phrase from verse 8 because he says, listen, if that person is not going to give you this because of your friendship, then he says, because of your shameless audacity. And I love that phrase because I feel like it's like a bad Western with like Clint Eastwood or something, right? Like shameless audacity, theaters May 4th, right? Like kind of like that, 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 that energy of, of the phrase. In the original language... It's a very, um, it's a phrase of rudeness. What he's saying is like, kind of being a jerk, dude, by like knocking on this guy's door in the middle of the night asking for bread. And then yet Jesus says, you know, like, like I imagine myself in that situation, like if somebody knocks on the door and I have to get up in the middle of the night, I don't know if you've ever seen the, the meme from the office where Kelly Kapoor is like, I have a lot of questions. Number one, how rude, how dare you, right? Like, like that's kind of like what's in my mind at that moment. And, and I think it's fascinating that of all of the examples that Jesus can think to give his disciples about the attitude in which we come before God in prayer, that this is the example that he chooses. Now, I don't think that Jesus is saying that you should be disrespectful or that you should be rude when you come to pray before God. But I do think that there's an implication here. I think that what Jesus is saying is this. When you are in a real need... 
You don't care about propriety. And you don't care if the person you are going to ask something of is going to get mad at you for the way in which you ask it. You ask anyway. You know why you ask anyway? Because you're desperate. And, and, and what he's saying is like most of the time, even if this person doesn't want to help you, just to get you to shut up and go away and not wake up the kids, he's going to give you whatever it is that you need. In other words, what Jesus is saying is this. When you're in a bind, you get bold. And then Jesus makes a connection between this example and how we should pray. And he says one of the most powerful and revolutionary statements about prayer. He says, ask, and you will get an answer. Seek. You will find, knock, and the door will be opened. In other words, when you pray, pray boldly, and you will see God move. But the reality of it is that a lot of times in our lives, I know in my life, this is not always the case for a number of reasons. And what I want to do just for the next few minutes is I want to give you Three sort of like mentality adjustments or ways of thinking about prayer that I think are going to help us pray more boldly. Okay? So this is the first one. Our prayers matter. Let me read this passage from Hebrews 11 verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. You have got to believe that what you're doing when you're praying matters and makes a difference. The writer of Hebrews is saying when you seek God, like if you're going to come seek God, you have to believe that he's there. And you have to believe that something real is happening, that he rewards us who seek him. You know, what he's kind of like saying is you have to believe that praying makes a difference. And the reason why I say that is because this part of probably one of the parts that we have the most awkward relationship with prayer because chances are that if I ask you, you probably have stories of how God has answered your prayers, right? Moments that you were in profound need, moments that you needed God to comfort, you needed God to do something, and you prayed and you asked and God answered. And chances are that I ask you, I, you also probably have times when that didn't happen. When you prayed and the person didn't get better and you prayed and the relationship didn't, didn't get salvaged. Like they, we live in this uh, tension between prayers that are unanswered and prayers that are answered. And the Bible has that tension because the Bible is filled with verses like the ones that we're reading today where Jesus says, you just have to ask and it will be given to you and you have to believe and God wants to ask your prayers. And we also have passages that say, you know what, God is sovereign. God is the one directing history towards a purpose. And sometimes his ways are not our ways. And sometimes what we want doesn't align with what God wants. And what ends up happening is that we don't know how to resolve this tension. So sometimes we're like, well, does prayer actually work or not? Am I, is this making a difference? Or is God basically going to do whatever he wants to do anyway? So, so, so what's the point? And, and depending on your theological tradition, you have kind of like a different way of making sense of that. And, and that's why I don't necessarily want to get into that today. But what I want to just point is that what I do in my life is I have embraced that tension because I believe that both things are true and both things are in the scriptures. God is a sovereign God who rules over the universe and who's guiding history towards a good purpose. And prayer 
matters. And prayer makes a difference. And I cannot fully resolve that and fully make sense of that in humility and faith. I trust God and pray believing that it matters. Um, a few years ago, I read this quote from Dallas Willard. Dallas Willard is a, was this philosophy professor who wrote a lot about uh, spiritual disciplines. He has this line about the Lord's Prayer and, and the purpose and the role of asking. And he says this. God's response to our prayers is not a charade. He does not pretend that he's answering our prayer when he's only doing what he was going to do anyway. Our requests really do make a difference in what God does or does not do. The idea that everything would happen exactly as it does, regardless of whether we pray or not, is a specter that haunts the minds of many who sincerely profess belief in God. It makes prayer psychologically impossible, replacing it with dead ritual at best. And of course, God does not respond to this. You wouldn't either. So we approach prayer believing that our prayers matter and make a difference. The second thing is that we also have to believe that, that God wants to help us, that God cares about our needs. There's this passage in Matthew chapter 8. A man uh, brings his son who's possessed by a demon. That's what, kind of like what the story says. He brings him before God. And, and, and uh, verse 2 says, in, in Matthew chapter 8, it says, A man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, he says, you, sorry, this is not a demon. This is a leprosy. I'll get to a demon in a minute. Uh, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And it says, Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. You see, part of the problem is not only that, that sometimes we don't believe our prayers make a difference. A lot of the time, the problem is that we're not that sure that God cares. It's almost like it's not like we're sure that, 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 that God isn't good. We're not sure that God likes us. Because of our sin, because of our past, because of whatever it is, we almost come like, it's like, we almost feel like we have to earn God's response to our prayer. And if I haven't been that good that week... <laughs> If I was too short to my wife, if I, you know, yelled in the office, well, then I don't, I don't get to come before God and ask because God doesn't care anymore. And the story that you see in the Bible is different. The story that you see in the Bible is of a God who cares for his creation. This man comes before us like, God, if, if you want to do this for me, and Jesus, of course, of course, I want to do this for you. Be clean. Uh, I have a, a two-year-old son. And on Saturday morning, sometimes my wife will kind of like let me sleep in. And when breakfast is ready, he will send him, him to get me. And the way he gets me is that he comes in and he like pulls over the, pulls off the, the covers from the bed and then grabs my legs and starts kind of like moving me uh, and getting me out of the bed. And he's like, move, move. Now listen, if you did that, if you barged into my room and like pulled off the covers and tried to drag me, we would have some words, okay? Probably have some more than words. But he's my son. And he knows that I love him. I know that I would do anything for him. So he's never not once been afraid of coming to me. He just barges in boldly. Uh, when Jack was just born, um, you know, we're kind of like navigating at the beginning the whole like, you know, when he's crying, how long do you let him cry? Because if not, you know, he's going to you know, get become a bad kid or something, right? It's like, if, guys, if you don't, don't let him cry, then he's going to like, you know, become a white-collar criminal or something, right? And uh, we're talking to the to pediatrician and says, listen, at the beginning, 
you don't want to let your kids cry too much because it's like your, their brains are developing and the things that their brains are trying to learn and piece together is if I cry out, will my parents answer? We believe in a God who answers the cry of his people. A God who cares. Final thing is, it's not only that we come before a God, that our prayers matter, and we come before a God who cares. We believe that God has the power to act. Uh, there's another story in the Gospel of Mark. This is a story about the boy that's possessed with a demon. And, you know, uh, the father of the boy brings him, and Jesus asks the father, how long has he been like this? And he says, from childhood. He has often thrown him into fire or water to kill him. Listen to this. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. I love Jesus' response. Jesus is like, if you can, everything is possible for the one who believes. No, Jesus is saying, buddy, the problem here isn't my power. You come before me, and it's not like, okay, like I can heal you from your cold, but I can't heal you from your cancer. The problem isn't, okay, I, I can help you get a job, but I can't help you with your depression. You know what I'm saying? Like, Jesus is kind of saying, presenting himself, saying, <laughs> power is not the issue here. And a lot of times, it's almost like, like, in our minds, we believe the guy is all, all powerful, but there's a part of us like, but is he really? You know what I'm saying? Like, can he really do this? And, and, and part of what, what enables us to come before God and pray bold prayers is this belief. I'm not talking as uh, Gandalf says in Lord of the Rings to a performer of cheap tricks. I'm talking to the God of the universe who speaks everything into existence with the power of his mouth, who sustains the universe with his hands. And that God can do anything. When you get these three things aligned, that our prayers matter, that God cares, and that God has the power to act, do you realize if those three things are true, how can we not pray boldly? Right? How, how could we not just like, you know, throw ourselves before God and ask him for what we need? Because this is a God who can help us. And, and the question becomes, it's not kind of like whether we can pray boldly or not. The question becomes really for us is, what should we pray boldly about? Because listen, I grew up kind of like in the Pentecostal movement, and I love that it did a lot of good things for me, but there was also kind of like early in my life some exposure to what some people call the prosperity gospel, which is basically like God's Ponzi scheme, like, like you give me money and then I'll give you more money and we keep like that circle. Um, and, and when I lived in that world, I've heard this sermon preached in terrible ways, right? It's like you're, all you have to do is ask, and a lot of times it became a lot of material things. Asking for a car and asking for a house and asking for a promotion. And I'm not saying that those things are necessarily bad. Like I, I was saying in the first service, like, you know, I was the one praying, ask, give us a car. But the reason why, because in D.C., the rats had chewed through the wires of the uh, windshield wipers of our car. So whenever you turn on the car, the windshield wipers just kept going and like didn't stop. And I'm like, we probably need a new car and we can't afford it. So God, help us out, right? So I'm not saying that, that praying for things is wrong. What I'm saying is... Is that it? There's this passage in the Gospel of John. Jesus says, until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask, 
and you will receive and your joy will be complete. I remember years ago, I was at a prayer meeting and somebody had mentioned this passage and I was thinking about it. And I'm telling you, I don't, I'm not saying that God spoke to me audibly, but I had this, this thought that couldn't get out of my mind. It was this. If this is true, is the best I can do just pray safe prayers. If the best I can do just pray for more stuff or for the next step in my career ladder. And it's almost like, like, I, like I feel like I was saying, can you see the brokenness and the suffering and the need in the world around you? And don't you know that I have the power to act and move? Ask me for that. Someone's like, I say, ask me for my help. Ask me for my power. And, and listen, this is when prayers can become dangerous because we're saying, God, you know, bring the power of heaven in this thing. And you know what happens? A lot of times God goes ahead and answers our prayer. You know how he answers his prayer? You do it. There's this passage in, in the Gospels where uh, there's these people that are following Jesus around and they've been listening to him preach the whole day and they're hungry and there's no food. And the disciples come to Jesus and say, Jesus, you should send them home so they can get something to eat. And Jesus' answer to the disciples is, you feed them. Prayers become dangerous because a lot of times you're praying for your neighbor to come to Christ. You know what you're saying? I want you to get involved in their life and in their story and love them and care for them and share the gospel with them. We start praying for the injustice and the needs around us. And guys saying, you know what? I think that I'm going to use you to do something about that. And before you know it, we're off to the races in the greatest adventure that we could imagine. There is this connection between the boldness that we pray with and the things that we're praying for. Like the thing that gives us confidence a lot of times when we're praying is either when we're desperate, when it's a need that, that we need God to do something about it. We've had a, a health issue in our family and a family member that's really sick and we're starting just praying and seeking God and being like, God, we need you to move. We need you to intervene in this situation. And there was a boldness in that because this person was really sick. Uh, you know when there's also boldness? There's boldness when we need that we're praying for something that God's not having second thoughts on. You know what God doesn't have second thoughts on? His kingdom coming down to earth. People that are far from him coming to know him. Justice and righteousness coming down on the world. God has no qualms about it. He's not like, man, let me think about that. I'm not sure. What does it? No, 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 no. God will always answer those prayers. And what emboldens us to pray is when we line up with God's will and throw ourselves at those things. There's this um, minor prophet in the Old Testament. His name is Habakkuk. And I always like saying Habakkuk because I feel like I'm cussing like Habakkuk, right? <laughs> and in Habakkuk, there's a passage where he says this, Lord, I have heard of your fame. I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. Repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. The context here is that Habakkuk is praying, is praying after Israel has come back from exile. And if you read the Old Testament, there's all these promises that come with that. That, that, that the city was going to flourish and that people were going to have this renewed relationship with God. And a lot of things are not happening. And Habakkuk is kind of like praying and thinking through the history of Israel and all the ways in which God has interacted with the people of Israel. And he comes before God and he's like, God, listen, I'm reading that. 
Why can't you do that now? It's a bold prayer if you think about it, right? It's kind of like, dude, like, come on. You did this already. Can you do it again? You promised it. And he's like, in our time. And it sounds like a bold prayer, but this is the thing. If you trace through history, every single great move of God, every revival, every awakening, you know how it starts. It starts with a group of people in a room, crying out to God and doing the same thing that Habakkuk says, in our time, can you do it again? And my challenge for, for us this morning is, what would happen if we take God up on that? What would happen if we become people who pray bold players, not just for our hopes and our dreams, but, but for the future? For this church, for this city, for this nation, and for the role that God wants us to play in that move. What his purposes are for our church and what his purposes are for our life. God, in our time, can you do that again? Um, this week we posted on our social media, I think you got in the email uh, or annual report. You don't have to read it, you can look it up online, but uh, if you had a chance to look through that, we just had one of the best years in the history of our church. In terms of attendance, in terms of finances, in terms of people getting involved. We had a really, really good year. And this past Tuesday, we were having a staff meeting, and Chad was kind of like sharing some of those numbers, and he said this. He said, listen, what we're experiencing now is the answer to prayers that of people who prayed in this church back in the 90s. When this church was going through tough times, and they decided not to give up and keep pressing on and asking God to move and do something here. And we are reaping the answers of those prayers. And what makes me wonder then is, well, what would happen if we pray those same prayers now? What could God do through us? So what we want to do is when I give you so like the tools to deal with that. So we're starting something that we're calling the February Prayer Challenge because I'm a very creative person that's a catchy name, right? <laughs> and the idea of, of, of the February Prayer Challenge is this. We want to challenge you and ask, like the whole church, to seek God in prayer intentionally. And I'm not going to tell you, hey, I want you to pray for, for, for 10 minutes or for half an hour and I want you to pray in the morning. No, whatever that looks like for your life. But when I challenge you is to step beyond just the safe prayers. Keep praying them. Keep praying for, you know, God to help you at work and protect your family and, and, and keep you from bad traffic on 495. Keep asking for those things. But what if you also start intentionally asking God, God, can you do it again? In our time, in our church, in my life, what do you want from me, what do you want me to do for you and for your kingdom? What if we start praying those bold prayers? So, in front of you, in your chairs, there's like a little QR code that we use for connection cards and whatnot. And what I want you to do is actually, um, you want to scan that, and I'm going to kind of like give you a few seconds to do that, and it's going to be really awkward if you don't, because I'm just going to look here, kind of like being here. So we're going to give you a few seconds. I want you to scan that. I'm going to take you to a form, and it's very simple. Just put your name, your email, and your phone number, okay? Dun, 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 dun. Go ahead. Dun, 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 dun. 
Next service, you have to ask Chad to like sing a song or something. Okay. Anyway, do that. And, and this is what, what was going to happen. Uh, if you do that, we're going to send you a reminder every morning at like 7 a.m. Hopefully, you're all awake by then. I just, hey, pray today. Remember to pray. We're gonna have, you're going to have a, a, a Bible verse and a short prompt to help you pray. Okay? And we're going to have some complimentary stuff with that. There's going to be stuff on social media. Um, on Thursdays, every Thursday at 8 p.m., we're going to be available on Zoom for you to pray with us if you want. We're going to have people from the prayer team. I'm going to be there. The link for that is going to be on our website and our social media pages. And then at the end of the series... The, the Friday, March 3rd, I think, after the series ends, we're coming together on a Friday night here, and we're going to have a prayer and worship night to see God's face and to pray and ask the same question that Habakkuk asked before in our time. Can you do it again? I'm not that much of a baseball fan. Uh, I'll be honest, I find it quite boring, but... A few years ago, I caught this documentary on ESPN. I think it was called Four Days in October. If anybody's seen it, it's basically about how the Boston Red Sox win uh, the 2004 ALCS against, uh, you know, the Yankees. And, you know, the Red Sox is paragon of ethics and integrity in sports. Um, and, and they're playing the Yankees, and they haven't won in like 100 years because of the course of the Bambino, some shady thing they did before, right? And could it happen to nicer people, right? So, like, they're down 0-3, and it's almost impossible to come back from that. And, and, and the documentaries are about how they come back, right? So, like, they're down 0 to 3, and they win the first game, and people say, like, okay, at least we're not going to get swept. And then they win the next game. And all of a sudden, when they win that second game, they're like, well, we could, could we come back from this? And the documentary is basically about how the whole city of Boston kind of, like, changes and rallies around the team. Because of the fact that they think that maybe they can make it. So there's this phrase that becomes kind of like the rallying cry of the city. And the phrase is, why not us? And you start seeing it in billboards. And you start seeing it in buses that are driving by. And people are saying it on TV. People are saying it on the streets. By game, uh, by game five, I think, or game six, like the players are wearing T-shirts under the uniform saying, why not us and the whole city there's this energy in the city of Boston and they win the series and they go on to win the World Series why not us and my question to you this morning is why not us what if the stories that we've heard of God moving and performing miracles and saving and rescuing what if those stories happen in our time today? I want to find that out. And my invitation to you is to come along in this journey. And let's see what happens if we pray boldly 